Welcome to Batty to Batty, a monthly podcast by For the Breast of Us, the first breast cancer community for all women of color, where we share real-life experiences, information, and education to help you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Hey, baddies. My name is Cynthia, and I am a breast cancer fatty ambassador from Houston, Texas, but I'm originally and always will be a Cali girl. I was diagnosed with stage two invasive ductal carcinoma in 2018, and I'm currently going through hormone therapy for the next few years. I am also a proud Bayesian woman and a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Welcome to the latest episode of Baddie to Baddie, brought to you by For the Breast of Us. We are the uh, only online community for women of color dedicated to helping you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis. And I'm Cynthia. I am a breast cancer thriver and ambassador with For the Breast of Us. And I'm here with Raquel Catrice and Catrice, who are survivors, and Jacinth and RN, who uh, has been a caregiver to her own family members with the cancer diagnosis. And tonight we're going to discuss how um, we've all navigated the healthcare system after a cancer diagnosis and treatment. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in. Let's start with some introductions of our guests. Um, Raquel, you want to start first? Ah, yes. Hello, my name is Raquel Godinez. I am 37. I was diagnosed uh, five years ago, uh, November 2016. I felt a lump on my right breast, kind of near the underarm, and I kind of put it off. You know, I didn't really want to think that it was anything. So I finally, after maybe two months, I went to see my primary doctor and uh, he ordered a mammogram and then it was actually a very quick um, process. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Was I supposed to go into all that right now? Or just... You can if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, so I'll just continue. Uh, so he ordered a mammogram and within like a week I had, every, I had my result. They called me at work. I was like, it was like 8 a.m. in the morning and they called me that it was abnormal, I needed to come in for a biopsy. And um, it was just like a whirlwind of, you know, do this and see this and go here and do this. And it was just survival mode, basically. Um, I did a C, you know, I did CT scan, I did PET scans, like all these different things. I was off work for three months. I did uh, initial lumpectomy, they didn't get all the margins. Um, so then I had to go back and do an axillary dissection and a re-excision and each, basically I ended up doing four lumpectomies total because they kept not getting all the margins. So, and I had the choice of mastectomy, but I didn't want to do that. It was just too much for me to process of not having breasts. Um, and I have pretty large breasts too, so it was just like a mind play, you know, just, it was just a lot. So I retained my breast tissue at least now. And after all the surgeries, uh, I did do 33 rounds of radiation. So the whole process took about a year because I took a break uh, after the surgeries and just kind of, and then I went on tamoxifen for two years. And then I got off of that after two years and had my babies within the last, three years. So it's been uh, just a lot going on. Um, and I kind of look back on it and I think I wish I had a patient navigator. There was no patient navigator in my system, in my right. healthcare system. Um, I, my only advocate was really my oncologist and she retired two or three years ago. So uh, it's just been 
it's been rough. And then having babies under the care of an oncologist has been interesting too, because they would rather that you, you know, with hormone positive breast cancer, they would rather that you not do that. Um, so there's a lot going on, but uh, <laughs> I'll just end for now with that. Well, welcome. We're excited to hear more about your story. Um, Catrice, you want to introduce yourself? Well, um, thank you uh, for having me. My name is Catrice Nolan, and I am a survivor of stage three inflammatory breast cancer. I was diagnosed back in 2013, so that's nine years ago, and so so glad to um, be able to speak with you all here today. It was um, a very challenging experience to even get the diagnosis, and then once received, it was uh, just a whirlwind but in many instances, a lot of waiting, and that waiting was a struggle uh, between the various um, elements of treatments and diagnoses and testing and so forth. Uh, but thankfully, um, about nine months later, I had completed at least the, the core of the treatment, um, and that treatment consisted of chemotherapy and then surgery where I had a double mastectomy, and then it followed with radiation um, and with inflammatory breast cancer, uh, you're not recommended to get any type of reconstruction for at least two years. Um, but in my case, about four years later, I was then finally able to have um, reconstruction. And that was in the form of a, a deep flap reconstruction. So I, I look forward to sharing uh, with everyone today um, the various hurdles I had to um, to go over with regard to the healthcare system and and that entire episode. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And Jacinthe, you wanna introduce yourself, please? Sure, hi everybody. Um, so my name is Jacinthe Green and I work as a registered nurse and um, my experience um, with uh, cancer is just through my parents and caregiving for them and having to navigate through the healthcare system. Um, and then also things, little tips that I've picked up along the way, just being a nurse. Um, so yeah, thank you all for having me here. Well, great. I'm really appreciative of you all taking time out of your schedules to be with us tonight and to talk to us about navigating the healthcare system. So for all of our panelists, we're going to start with this question. How familiar were you with the healthcare system and navigating um, it and insurance prior to your experiences with cancer? And anybody can jump in. Um, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I became a nurse after my mother's cancer diagnosis. Um, um, sadly for me, my mom passed away from her cancer. And um, it was the catalyst for me to um, become a nurse. Uh, but when we were going through the process, I had no idea. Um, you know, I'd never taken care of anyone that was ill. And I was like 20, 22 years old at the time um, that she was diagnosed. And I didn't have any ideas of what to do except that I completed a graduate degree so I knew researching was like one of my skills right. um and so once we got her cancer diagnosis I like started into research mode to find out more about her cancer um you know talking to different people because she was also a nurse at her hospital and so with that was the influx of, oh, you should choose this doctor, you should choose this doctor. So trying to sift through all of the information that was coming to me um, as a novice to healthcare, that was kind of like how I was thrown into it. And then through each experience we had, you know, we, we ended up changing doctors, you know, because interactions, I was like, mm, this one's, you know, not meeting our needs. So, so that was my introduction. Anybody else want to share their introduction to the healthcare system? Um, sure. So um, my introduction was through just the lived experience as an adult parent um, being married, um, essentially 
Uh, my husband and I, we are three kids. And so I had the experience of, you know, having children and, you know, going to the hospital and that experience. And for all three of the children, uh, it varied uh, with our um, first child, of course, knew nothing. And then with the second child, I knew enough that um, when I went into labor, I knew enough to ask for epidural <laughs> in advance before the Pitocin was delivered. So, you know, I took a little bit from the first instance. So for the second child, uh, we didn't have any issues. For the third child, though, uh, it was totally flipped around. I typically, uh, my water would break before I would deliver. But for the third child, I actually had contractions that I didn't know what they were because you know, I, that's not what I'd experienced first in the past. And we went to the hospital early, um, went and they said I wasn't dilated enough and needed to go home and said, would you like to have um, a sleeping pill? And so I was like, okay, well, you're offering it. So obviously I'm supposed to have a sleeping pill before I have a baby. Went home. They gave me two. I asked, well, am I supposed to take both? Because you gave me both. So they gave it to me. I took both. Went home. I went to sleep. <laughs> well, guess what? Those, <laughs> those contractions were so strong. Woke me up out of that you know, deep slumber that I had. We rushed to the hospital. And I barely made it to the hospital when our water broke. We went into the small triage room where they checked to make sure that that's actual, you know, fluids that you're going to have a baby. And right then and there in a triage room, I delivered before I could wow. even make it to the back. <laughs> and so that experience um, led to me having a significant amount of mistrust because I, I, I thought, you know, back, you know, right now we always stop talk about maternal health and I think about that now 12 years later like well what what could have happened if and so given that experience um, I started paying way more attention to what the doctor said um, insurance and other matters to include my husband having uh, multiple knee surgeries um, and then myself other um, surgeries that I had and so that's really um, going into the breast cancer experience I already had a level of, you know, a level of, you know, know what you're getting into from the very beginning. Um, make sure you have those, you know, those conversations with your healthcare providers up front to try to ensure that you um, alleviate any type of challenges that you might face in the future. Raquel, do you want to talk about your introduction to the healthcare system? Um, yes. Yeah, so. Let's see, I had grown up wanting to be a doctor, wanting to be in the medical field. Uh, so I actually worked in hospitals since I when it was in college, so about 19 years old, 20 years old. And um, my mother was diagnosed with DCIS at the age of 32, no, I'm sorry, 42. So I was in college at the time and uh, so, I mean, we we had HMO. We've had HMO basically ever since we were children, my sister and I. Um, so everything's kind of insulated and one-stop shop, this and that. Uh, so I, I mean, in terms of how to, knowing how to do things, I think it was a little easier because it was HMO and getting referrals and things like that. Um, but when it came to my own health experience, um, I didn't really know much. And then I had a an abscess on my back. So I had to do a small surgery for that. Um, so, I've, you know, I had some experiences with um, the healthcare system and then working also on the business side. Um, I saw it as from that perspective as well. Okay. And as people of color, and especially women of color, historically, we don't necessarily have good experiences with doctors and with the healthcare system. And then on top of having a diagnosis like cancer, um, it can be really frightening trying to figure out where, where to begin, what to do. Do you have any tips for people who are new to a healthcare diagnosis, specifically something like cancer? How should they begin to navigate um, this healthcare system and their insurance? 
I can jump in. Um, so I actually put a list together um, of, 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 of things that came to mind while I was preparing to be with you guys tonight. And I think in general, like everyone who has health insurance should take some time, like, you know, sick, not sick, healthy, and, and, and in a healthy state is, you know, the best time to really go through your insurance plan and, you know, figure out what your coverage is, like all the details, what would happen if I, you know, were to get diagnosed with, you know, an illness um, that would require hospitalization, um, you know, um, multiple rounds of testings, like what's the process and write down questions, like get intimate with your healthcare plan and what it has to offer. Because then ahead of time, you know, just, just to be prepared, right. just, just, just to study, what are you paying into every single month um, with your policies? And then, you know, um, so that's kind of where I would start getting familiar with your healthcare plans um, to, write your questions down when you come across something call up your your um your policy holder and um or 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 the the insurance company if you have questions and ask them you know talk to a representative and be like hey what 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 services would you offer to me you know because what happens sometimes too is that you could get into um knowledge about having secondary insurance to cover other costs that you would otherwise have to pay a hefty price for out of pocket. Um, so it can, it, it, it allows you to figure out what resources are at your disposal and whatever voids are there, you can start to think about in advance, um, you know, of, of what options are available to you hospitals, physicians in your network, out of network, what's the cost to you if 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 you know you have that you want to see this oncology team, for example, um, that's outside of your network, what are your options um, for coverage? So so one of the things I would start out with is definitely get to um, be very knowledgeable about your insurance and and the features that it has. I think that's very, very helpful information and something that we don't often think about until it's a little too late sometimes. So I really appreciate that. Um, Catrice, do you have anything you want to input in there? Absolutely. Um, those are some excellent suggestions that Jacinth had. Um, things I would ask are to understand um, the management structure at your particular facility that you're visiting, um, regardless if it's small or if it's large. Um, if it is a, a smaller practice, beyond just your actual your, your oncologist or whoever your medical professional is, know who is the office manager. They need to know you. They need to know your name. They need to know who you are. You need to have established or try to establish some sort of relationship. Um, also know who the benefits manager is. Typically, uh, in a practice, is not the same person. But I would say that the benefits manager... They're typically the ones who are submitting are in charge of submitting that insurance paperwork on your behalf. If questions are coming from the insurance company, that's the person who is fielding those questions for you. You know, if, if you know who that is and you have that relationship when it comes to perhaps defending uh, certain costs that are being submitted, they're the ones that are going to be going to bat for you. And if they um, are struggling with, you know, what, what needs to occur, they will hopefully get in contact with you and try to see if there's a way to resolve uh, whatever that issue is. Um, I would say specifically in navigating healthcare as it relates to the actual providers themselves, that person who is in that room with you for that 15, hopefully more minutes, um, <laughs> you need to establish a relationship. You need to know whether or not they have any type of bias as women of color. You need to know that up front. And, a couple ways you can know is, are they listening to you when you ask them questions? Are they focused on you? Are they paying attention? Are they looking at you in the eye? Are they acknowledging 
you know, that question, are they understanding what you're, what you're asking? And if not, are they asking you to, you know, maybe restate your question in a different way or explain and give more details? And then if they then respond to that question, do you understand what they're telling you? And if you don't understand, you need to ask them to rephrase it in another way that you can understand. And if they're not willing to rephrase that or if they feel put off in trying to explain that information to you, then that's a sign of a problem. That's a sign of a bias. And if they have that bias, it's highly likely that you'll have inadequate or unequal treatment. And so that's another factor that you need to, two quick things you can look at really fast as to whether or not they have a bias. And if they do, you may need to... Um, have that conversation about why I understand, do they see you as a priority patient? I was fortunate enough where I had each of the providers tell me that I was their number one priority. Yes, they have multiple patients, but for me to hear that I'm number one makes a world of difference in terms of my mindset and my attitude when it comes to going through this treatment, right? They're going to do everything that they can um, to treat me, but I felt like it was my responsibility to make sure that my body was prepared for whatever activities, whatever actions that I understood completely so that, you know, we were all on one page, one accord as we were going through the treatment. That's some very valuable information and um, <clears throat> some really good tips. I remember uh, during my lumpectomy, once I got connected with the person who was responsible for billing, <laughs> And I could speak to her directly. I was able to get things moving, things change, ask questions about how much of my copay is. Do I get a refund because I overpay? You know, but I never even thought to think about who was doing that piece. You know, you focus so much on who's going to be my doctor, you know, but there's so many other people working on your behalf. And that is absolutely valuable information. Absolutely. And I'll just, just want to go back about the benefits manager. I wouldn't have even thought to ask about who that person was. Right. Fortunately for me, she actually approached my husband and I and asked us to come in for a meeting. And I was like, um, who are you in a meeting? <laughs> oh, okay. We'll, we'll come in here. And my husband's like, who is this woman? Like, what, what, what's she talking to us about? Cause you know, no one's ever approached us as a benefits manager before. So we go into an office and, you know, she's like, hi, I'm so-and-so, you know, I'm a benefits manager and, you know, explain what she did. And she said, oh, by the way, you know, we have a um, this this scholarship, that's what I'll call it. I forgot what she called it, but the scholarship is available. And we're sitting here thinking like, okay, she think because, you know, we're black, that we're poor or something, right. you know, like, you know, right. All these things flow through our heads. But she's like, no, she's like, we actually have, you know, there's this uh, one of the medications you have to take at the time, Nulasta, um, you know, this shot. She explained to us was like $5,000 a shot and you're going to need like six of them. So my husband and I calculated like six on five, 30. What the, what are right. you talking about? <laughs> right. Who, who can pay for that? What kind of shot is this? And she's like, but no, don't worry about it. She's like, we have this scholarship and she's like, regardless of income level, what we have is we, you just pay the first $35. Wow. It will waive the remainder of the cost up to your deductible amount. And then after that, insurance pays the remaining. Per and what it covered was that gap. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were just like, well, why didn't you just say that the, the first, you know, before you even said who you were? <laughs> I got you for you. I you pay these bills. <laughs> right? Like, why, why'd you have to spring the 30K on us, right? Like, we were the six times five. And then, Oh, but you know, here's how much it's covered. Like, no, 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 you should have led with the other thing. Do you not know we are stressed at this moment about this diagnosis? You want to be like, you know, Vanna White, talk about, hey, <laughs> but you know, we, we love her still, you know, see her and, and talk to her to this day. And um, so I'm just so thankful. So that's a tip, definitely to know. I wish is. more practices would introduce you to the people in that supportive role of your care, you know, because that is important. And even, I think even after my first interaction with the benefits manager, I didn't think about it at every step of treatment, you know? And so I think that's really helpful. Raquel, do you have some tips for um, getting started in this process? Uh, yes. Well, like I said, I, 
I'm a, I have a HMO. So in terms of billing and all that stuff, well, number one, you, as a part of HMO, it's huge. So I just kind of feel like a number. So I just learned to call member services, complain about so-and-so if their bedside manner was not, um, if they didn't treat me right or whatever, I can always complain. And that's, that's a right that I have as a patient. Um, and then, like I said, there was no patient navigator. So once my oncologist left, I felt like I've been, I've seen two different oncologists since then. And one of them, um, I asked her, well, I want to have a, I want to try for a second child. And, um, what are your thoughts about that? And she kind of said, well, eventually you should just get your ovaries out. And I said, what are you talking about? My cancer, I didn't, I didn't have BRCA mutations. So right. why, why would you bring up such an extreme, um, treatment method with when I'm clearly talking about having another child, I mean, to talk about childbirth to hysterectomy is to completely, um, it just didn't make sense to me. I didn't like that. So I just felt kind of, I feel kind of lost in this whole post um, diagnosis phase that I'm in. Uh, I knew I do need to get a mammogram my yearly, but I'm breastfeeding. So I think basically my tip is just to, I, I'm on, I'm the only person that's watching out for myself. There's nobody calling me. There's no case managers like, Hey, Raquel, you need to do this. It's, it's very impersonal. It's this huge, vast system. So I'm the only one who's watching out for myself. And I'm, I have to keep myself on track because nobody else is going to do it basically. That's unfortunate. And having a good healthcare team, um, is important. How, um, Katrina spoke to it a little bit, but how did you uh, ensure that you felt comfortable with most of your providers? Clearly not all of them, but what are some tips for finding a care team that you really feel like is in your corner? Um, with my first oncologist, she was just a, a down lady. Like she just was half Mexican, half Japanese or something. So she was just very down to earth. She, you know, would just she was just very personable and very knowledgeable. She had been around at the, at our, the hospital for years clicked. And then ever since then there hasn't been that click. So it's just, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm just trying shoes on to get the right fit. Um, but I think, you know, having that relationship with your provider is really important. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I, has still had that, but I don't. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just think it's our right to, you know, demand the best care for us, for ourselves. And, you know, if that takes seeing five different oncologists and that's what it's going to be for me. Uh, a couple of things I recommend are, I know that Raquel mentioned that, you know, her, her practice didn't have navigators, but I'll tell you that the practice that um, I visited, they had navigators, but they were not dedicated to the practice, right? They actually had a affiliation with another nonprofit so that if you were not part of that practice, you could actually still schedule a visit with them just to, you know, air out some of the concerns that you have with regard to your, your general, you know, oncology treatment that you're having. So um, I would one recommend, you know, reaching out to other maybe larger uh, providers and asking them if their navigators might be able to just sit down with you for some questions that you have. Um, another thing as far as writing, finding the right providers that are a good fit for you are to, one, um, ask your primary care physician. You know, a lot of the doctors in a particular town or city, they a lot of them know each other. Right, they do. And even if they don't know another oncologist, they know another doctor that they can ask. So um, it might be a case of, you know, you ask them, they might not have an answer right on the spot, but you could just say, hey, you know, I'm looking for this type of, you know, doctor, this type of oncologist. I could really use a recommendation if you could please, you know, provide me with the recommendation. I appreciate it. Um, I actually did that for one of my, um, one of my, one of my doctors. Um, I 
ended up my first surgeon um, letting that person go, deciding not to go with them for um, my um, double mastectomy. Um, I thought I needed someone with a, a bit more experience um, than that individual. And what I ended up doing is I contacted the um, hematology oncologist that was actually um, part of my, he was like my secondary expert that I, I thought I needed because I had um, the aggressive form of cancer, inflammatory breast cancer. And I asked him, he's in a totally different state. Hey, do you have a breast surgery you recommend? And his response was, well, I have one at my center here in Philadelphia and I'm in Northern Virginia and I didn't feel comfortable going that far for surgery, being away from my family. And I asked, what about somebody here in the, in the DC area? Do you have someone you recommend? He's like, I don't have anyone in the Pacific, but I have another oncologist that was on a board with me. I would recommend um, following up with her practice. Granted, I was not one of their patients and I felt like, okay, this is gonna be awkward, but he said to call, I'm calling. I called that oncology office and I was like, you know, this is gonna be a weird question. I'm not one of your patients, um, but you know, my doctor, in Philly, asked me to call this office and ask for a recommendation for a um, breast surgeon. And I really need someone who's performed at least 100 plus um, surgeries for someone who's had um, 100 personal IBC surgeries or inflammatory breast cancer. And they were like, okay, well, you know, she's seeing a patient right now, but we'll, we'll ask her and get back with you if that's okay. And I was like, that's, that's fine with me. And they got back with me that same day. I got a call back. It's like, hey, we asked, you know, Dr. So-and-so, and she recommends, you know, this chicken doctor that was in um, their, their practice. And so I called up, I scheduled them, and we hit it off, you know, right away. I mean, he and I, you know, with the, with the breast surgeon, you, you meet with them quite frequently. And um, we, we have an amazing relationship. So don't be afraid to ask around other doctors the doctors know who the good doctors are and they know who the bad doctors are. They and do. If, yes, right. If it's your family doctor and they recommend a bad doctor, you know, they would have known from somebody else and, you know, that they um, have as their patient, if someone's bad and they're not going to do that because that reflects badly on them. So that's what I recommend. I, I like that you even have the foresight to think about the level of experience you know, of your care team. That's not something that we often think to ask, like, what is your experience? How long have you been doing this? How often so, have you seen cases like mine? So How often have, have you cut on skin that looks like mine? And, you know, I had an amazing care team that I adore, but I definitely didn't think anything about their level of experience doing this. Well, I actually did not have the foresight. Um, it was actually in a breast cancer support group online where, um, I started paying attention to some of the comments and, you know, some of the comments about people traveling certain places to see a breast surgeon. And I started asking like, well, why are you traveling, you know, away from your regular, you know, this doctor to go see that doctor. And someone piped in and said, well, with inflammatory breast cancer, and said it is so critically important for survival that it has to be clear margins. And it has to be someone with some experience to understand that when you are seeking clear margins, it needs to be done the first time. You don't have that opportunity to go back for a second chance. And so um, it's a lengthy um, experience in the mastectomy because they are sitting there in surgery. They perform a procedure. They've sent down your samples down to pathology who's waiting for your samples. And they are waiting for the results before they close you up. Wow. And, and it is that critical that they understood, um, you know, what, what's going on? Is it clear? And they, it's like a team effort back and forth. And if that breast surgeon doesn't understand that in, in the case of a breast cancer, it can um, be detrimental for your health. Jacinth, you have worked to be a voice and an advocate for your loved ones. How would you um, encourage or, um, encourage someone and a, a cancer patient themselves to advocate like how do we learn to be our own voice ah that is a really good question um it takes courage um is the first thing i would say you know 
I, for one, think the healthcare system is so daunting and it can be very intimidating, but you have to center yourself. And one of the things that I would do when I would go to appointments with my mom, and it's kind of something I've taken into my nursing career, is it's like I, I, I hype myself up and I'm like, I have a duty whether it be to the person I'm taking care of or to myself, because I myself have traversed the healthcare system on the end of the patient. And it's like game, game time, game right. face on, let's get this done. <laughs> you know, like I need to get to the other side and I need to come out triumphant as best that I can. And it's kind of like I'm envisioning this minefield, if you will, right. uh, or obstacle course. Um, and I picture myself being victorious. I do a lot of envisioning um, of getting through each obstacle one at a time. Um, another thing that I do is I try to when I was going through things with my mom, I tried very much to stay present. And as a caregiver, or for anyone who is going through the process of having to start on a long journey through, say, cancer diagnosis and treatment, find someone to come with you that is somebody that's you know, that you feel trustworthy. Because what I can say, sometimes, you know, you you, you go into your appointments and you're kind of sometimes in a fog. It's a lot of information that's coming at you really quickly. And, you know, you may think that you, you have it all in your head and then you get home and you're like, what happened? What happened today? Right. Um, you know, so having someone with you that's, you know, able to take in the information that the physician or the nurse is sharing with you, writing it down, being there to hold your hand, support you. You know, I remember times like just sitting there with my mom taking notes, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't understand all that was being said, but I, I took notes um, with her and so that later on, if if you know she would be like, okay, what what are, what are we doing again? What what's coming up for the next appointment? What was that medication, um, you know, that he mentioned? Keep just keeping track for that person, you know. Um, I also advocate. I'm a big note taker. I'm a I, I write things down. On, I mean, you know, either pen and paper or on the phone. Um, ahead of time for appointments, especially, you know, we, you, you guys mentioned earlier about these 15 minute slots that providers have, right? And, you know, so I'm one to prepare ahead of time because normally in between visits, there are questions that come up um, and I'm like, oh, you know, I want to ask the, the, the provider this time coming up, what can I expect? from, you know, this treatment or what, 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 what side effects, whatever the questions you may have, write them down um, so that it kind of gives you an organized agenda so that when you go in, you can maximize the time that you have with your provider. Um, also, um, don't be afraid to ask last minute questions. It doesn't matter what do not be afraid to ask last minute questions. If that person feels rushed or makes you feel like your visit is like they're rushing through your visit, don't take that energy on. Again, this is about you. If you are the patient, this is about you and this is about your life. And so you have to be courageous and 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 be empowered to take to to take charge of you know saying hey excuse me and i speak out a lot <laughs> i do during visits you know excuse me um can can we slow down here 
you know, I need you to clarify this information for me. Um, so it's okay to take a step back, even if the person in front of you, because a lot of times they don't, they may not catch themselves being how they are. And it's okay for you to speak up in that moment and always be okay with advocating for yourself or, or whoever is, you're there for. And, and that's very true. And I think it's one of those things that where sometimes you may have to fake it till you make it. You don't have to be truly confident in asking questions or saying, hold on, can you repeat that? Can you explain that a different way? But the more you do it, the more natural it becomes. And you know what, too, um, I like to jump in more often times than not when I've come into appointments or, you know, prepared with like an agenda, you know, or something like that. The providers are very receptive to that level of organization because it kind of helps them too to be able to stay on track stay focused also sometimes it it brings in more information than i thought i would ever have access to um from the provider you know because they're they're like oh i never thought about it that way right. um let me you know, I'm happy you were thinking about this, or I never, I never thought a patient would be interested in this. So here's some information um, that could be relevant, you know? Raquel, did you feel like being in the healthcare space gave you a leg up or did you still find yourself having um, a lot of questions and difficulties? You're muted just before you begin. <laughs> mm, I think to some extent, uh, I, I was fortunate to at least be able to, it was kind of laid out for me, you know, what appointments to do, what consoles to see. Um, in the beginning, it, due to my oncologist, I feel that uh, she made it better you know, or she helped, you know, the experience along. Um, I don't know if that was due to me being an employee or if she was just a really good oncologist. Um, but now that it's, you know, later time out, I don't think that I have really any, um, I don't feel at, a, at, a, at an advantage anymore. Um, I've, like for example, I called on Friday to get to get assigned to a new oncologist, and the call center said, "Okay, well, we're gonna message the department to call to reach out to you." And I haven't heard from anybody, and you know it's been almost a week and nothing. So I need to call again. It's just now I'm kind of like, you know, just a number again. So right. yeah, I don't I don't know that working in the same system was an advantage, I guess. Um, yeah. Okay. So Catrice, in your book, you have a chapter titled, I've been diagnosed and now what? Where you discuss your navigation challenges. What made you call this out? And as a black woman, how important is it for you to share this information with other black women and women of color? So um, the reason why I, I named the book that was I felt like there was just so much time wasted in the waiting period um, and the waiting between different appointments and the waiting to just understand what was going on and just trying to understand so many different wheels that were turning all at once. And so I thought it was would be beneficial to others that, you know, if I could just save, you know, anybody, any amount of time to give them an advantage to getting at least into that first treatment, start fighting even, you know, quicker than they would have if they didn't have access to the book was um, the main reason for doing so. You know, anything from, you know, the health insurance and understanding that, the fact that there are prescription benefit programs Sometimes you have direct access, you can find them. Sometimes only the provider knows them. Um, the fact that, you know, there's disability insurance and the benefit of it, 
And if someone, you know, perhaps they haven't been diagnosed with cancer yet and they read the book, hopefully that encourages them to get disability insurance because my goodness, it saved a lot of headache for me and my family to have that disability insurance. There were so many instances where my husband was like, thank God we had this insurance in place so that we are able to just fight and not be so worried about the financial aspect of having lost this income during this period, because our focus, number one, was to fight. Um, I think it benefits um, so, many, so many people, but really what inspired me to write it was um, having come across another um, of our, um, one of my husband's friends who it turns out we didn't know until the second time that they are going through a cancer diagnosis. Um, they hit it the first time, you know, men who are bald, no one ever asks questions because right. they think it's just, oh, someone's just gone bald. But it turned out that he was actually going through cancer treatment, but we didn't know until the second time around. Um, and they started um, just briefly sharing with some people and I could see you know, I, I just have an innate abilities to, to be able to read people and see that, you know, that they were struggling. You know, I grew up, my mother was a counselor. And so I always say that, you know, I learned some of those things from her. But knowing that they were struggling, you know, I, I asked the question. Well, I didn't know they were struggling, but I could see it. And I asked the question of um, his spouse to say, hey, how are you guys doing? How are you holding up? And just me asking that question resulted in her just, you know, bursting into tears about the struggle. And I asked, you know, all the different things that you're talking about that you're struggling with, you know, how is, you know, the cancer navigator, have you been, been able to talk to them? And she says to me, what cancer navigator? We don't have a navigator. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Your doctor hasn't talked to you about the fact that there's a, um, a, a free cancer navigator available to you at the cancer, um, at the hospital, right across the street from his office. And this is your second time going through this. And they said, no, Catrice, they haven't told us anything about any of that type of support. And I was mad. I was, I was, I was just ticked off that here it is. They're going through their second round of cancer treatment. And this critical information hadn't been shared. This doctor couldn't even read their patient enough to understand that they are mm -hmm. struggling did they not care enough to even ask the question, how are you doing? I'm sure if asked that question, they would have shared that there were, there were some challenges they were facing. And so I connected them with a um, navigation program the very next day. It was a Sunday at church. We talked about it. On Monday, they called. On Tuesday, they had their appointment. Wednesday, she called me back and she said, Catrice, thank God you connected us with her because now she's getting us access to some of the exact support that we needed. And I just thought, you know, how many other people are going through this and as doctors are not understanding that it's not just treating the cancer, it's treating the whole being and the fact that they need that support. And so I, I hope that the book was just an avenue to be able to, you know, connect people with the various amounts of resources that are going to need in that whole hemisphere of cancer treatment. And, you know, and as a standard of care, I think this information should be shared. You shouldn't have to wait for someone to come to you or to come in looking down enough for you to, to ask and inquire about what's going on. Some people will be too proud, don't even know it exists, so they don't know to ask. And so um, in order to not profile or to show a bias or make assumptions, just offer the information to every single patient. That's what it's there for. Yes, absolutely. I even, you know, after that whole experience, I had a conversation with my oncologist to say, you know, why is it, you know, that so many patients that I've come across and not from her particular practice, you know, were not getting access to, you know, some of the support services. And I said to her, you know, aren't you all the first line of defense? Aren't you all the one that should be connecting them? And she said, Catrice, absolutely, we are. We are the ones who should be connecting them with that support. She said, but unfortunately, a lot of my colleagues, they're not doing that. And I agree with you, Cynthia, it ought to be a standard of care. And um, I just wanted to jump in here to 
emphasize the importance of these resources. Um, I came across something interesting on NPR this week, and the title of it, I don't know if you guys saw this, Delaware is shrinking racial gaps in cancer death. It's secret patient navigators. <laughs> and so it it, it features um, a young lady who works at a, as a patient navigator um, in one of the healthcare systems in Delaware. And she talks about her role and the services that she provides um, from, you know, talking to the patients about what um, what they missed in their appointments, helping them schedule appointments, um, you know, helping them find resources, you know, how to follow up, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think we've all been in the situation. I think Raquel alluded to it too. Like sometimes you call and you're told no. No is no. No, no is not acceptable to me. Right. When I'm when you know when I have a a, a healthcare crisis. So, you know, I'm I'm always one to um try to look for other options even though you tell me no i'll be like nah it's not really no what what else can we do here what are my other options um also something too there one thing that i want to say to our audience is that while physicians are you know the ones we think of to to go to, you know to to have everything together we have to think beyond just the physician and you know think of everyone in the office or think of everyone at the hospital right um access to nurses um you know think about your nurses that come in and take care of you um when you're in the hospital setting um ask ask questions never be afraid to ask them questions because they 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 can talk to people behind the scenes they may have had um things with their own family members um you know your caseworkers you know ask do, do you guys have a, a social worker around here um a counselor a chaplain you'd be surprised where your help can come from in the most unlikely places or are are not as obvious you know right. when you're going through the healthcare system um you know, and like Katrice said, these things should be offered to you, but for some reason they're not. And so that's why I'm really happy to be part of this podcast today because it's 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 letting people know, even though things aren't offered to you, ask for it because it could make the difference between life and death. It could impact the quality of care that you're receiving go ahead and ask. And even if you don't know what to ask for, is there something beyond this care that you're providing me that you that you can think of that would be of benefit to me in my situation right now? You I think know? you really said two things that, that stuck out to me that what else and that a minute ago you said no is not no, what are the other options? And I think that even applies more to just treatment and maybe surgery and stuff, but I can't pay for that. What other options are there? My insurance doesn't cover that. Now, what else can we do? And simply what are the other options is a really good question to open the door to what else may be available to you. So as we begin to close out, I want to give each of you the opportunity to leave some final words, tips, or advice. Raquel, what would you want to tell everybody listening um, as your word of advice for them? My words of advice would be to, um, when you're first diagnosed, um, it's easy to get lost with what I got to do, what appointments I got to do. Um, and it's it kind of disassociate from your emotions. I feel like that's what I did. So I didn't really, there was a social worker available in the oncology clinic and I talked to her a few times, but I was just in survival mode. So I kind of, like I said, disassociated. Um, so I think it's important to have have a support system people that you rely on who check in with you emotionally uh, and 
all these techniques, you know, mindfulness and meditation, things like that. Um, those are good to have. And also above all else is, I mean, if, if you're spiritual or religious, whatever it is, um, you know, praying for me, um, that really carried me through my husband. Um, and also just, like I said, I think advocating for myself has been the greatest lesson through all of this, um, that, you know, you're your greatest advocate and, uh, don't be afraid to ask questions, complain, you know, um, look things up, do your own research, um, because doctors only know so much. And also I feel that Western medicine, you know, has it's positive, positives and negatives. And there's other schools of thought, um, Eastern medicine, or Native American, whatever, however you want to look at it. Um, so we're our yes, we're a body, but you know everything's connected. So I think that it's just you know as a patient, I think that's something I learned a lot is you know don't forget about everything else just because I'm treating my breast. You know, there's everything else that I need to pay attention to as well. Absolutely, the whole person care is paramount. Um, you know what they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so to be your own best advocate, you you do have to do that inner work and take care of your emotional self as well while navigating the physical health challenges. Catrice, what would be your final words of wisdom? So my final words of wisdom, I love everything Raquel said. <clears throat> I would um, just add to that, that, you know, you have a cancer tribe. You know, you may feel like, you know, this is the worst moment in your life. Um, you may feel as if there's no hope, but there is hope in those who are surrounding you. It could be that the provider, it could be your family members, it could be any number of people. Um, in that tribe, you need to identify someone as your care navigator. So not the patient navigator, but your care navigator to help you navigate all the different elements of the system, you know, be it the, the healthcare system, the insurance, the financial, you know, plight that you might be in because of this, you know, this, you know, this bill that you were not expecting, this humongous bill. Um, there are different individuals who are out there that can assist you with each one of those things. But just like when everyone's offering to bring you meals and it's so hard to try to navigate just, Meal deliveries, it's, it's just too much. You need someone who can assist you in that care um, coordination. So um, that's, that's the biggest takeaway I have. Um, just having that person, whether it be a sibling, uh, a family member, even in one instance, I interviewed someone and it was a church member who actually stood up and was there to actually help navigate this care um, support system for that individual. And just having that helps alleviate a number of the stressors that you already feel with just a diagnosis to know that there's someone there that is assisting you with these other pieces. Um, it, it just makes a world of difference and allows your body and your spirit to focus on just the healing and not be so consumed with all the other pieces you feel are, are perhaps dropping, but they're assisting you in, in keeping those balls moving and, and rolling throughout your treatment. I really do appreciate that. And that is important. People do want to help and sometimes they don't know where to step in. So tell them, Hey, you like to haggle over five cents. How about you call this insurer and talk through this bill and see what we can get removed. But yes, I lean on your team um, where appropriate and where, where you feel that they can be of assistance. Jacinth, what are your final words for us? So my final words are follow your instincts, follow your instincts every step of the way, whether it be, you know, you're sitting down to an appointment with your provider, it may be your first, second or third visit. And, you know, you're coming along in your treatment process, or you're at the beginning of your treatment process, and something's off, something's different, your needs are no longer being met. It's okay to speak up about it. You know, say, hey, you know, and, and I, I tend to be very open, um, you know, and ask questions and say, 
um, what I'm feeling at that time. Um, and that's very important. Follow your instincts. You know, if something's not working for you during your treatment process, after, speak up about it because you never know unless you make that heard. And trust your gut. If it's not working for you, no one's going to know better than you so that you can get it fixed. Changes can be made if you need a, a new provider or, you know, your medications are, you know, causing certain side effects. Don't suffer in silence, you know, because there you never know what the options are out there for you. That's and that's also very important. And sometimes, you know, we're not sure what direction to go in. And but like you said, your instinct will never lead you wrong. If there's something that's amiss, your body will tell you. Yeah. And, and so you know, we put a lot of faith in in our providers. And but at the end of the day, it's your body. Mm -hmm. You you know it best. You know it best. So as we wrap, let's share how our listeners can get in touch with you. And um, to our listeners, don't feel like you have to write this all down. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> but Raquel, what are your social media handles? How do people get in touch with you if they want to discuss more with you? Um, I could be reached on my Instagram. It's R-A-K-City-898, RackCity898. And uh, and my email address rogaz898 at gmail.com. Wonderful. Catrice? You can reach me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. My handle is just at Catrice Nolan. That's K-A-T-R-E-C-E. And that's Nolan with an E, N-O-L-E-N. And you can email me also, Catrice at CatriceNolan.com. And Catrice, where can we get your book? Uh, you can get my book on Amazon or even on my website, CatriceDolan.com. Wonderful. And Mr. Synth, how can we get with you later? So with me, my email is the best way to reach me. I don't really have a major social <laughs> network presence. Um, so my email is globalgreen. So that's G-L-O-B-A-L-G-R-3-3-N at gmail.com. Well, wonderful. Ladies, I cannot thank you enough for your time. And I think this very important conversation that I think will help a lot of women, especially those that are newly diagnosed. And I feel like I'm even leaving armed. Um, I'm in Houston and Blue Cross Blue Shield and my provider, Memorial Hermann Hospital, you two, did not work out a deal, a new contract. So I have to get a whole new care team. Oh, that's and awful. I'm Blue Cross Blue Shield, but in Northern Virginia. So. Oh, and I am so sad about it. But I feel like I'm more empowered to ask the important questions um, as I get a new care team and navigate, you know, starting all this process up again. And so I really thank you for this wealth of information. And I cannot wait for this episode to go live. So again, thank you all for your time. And um, we'll be in touch. Thank, Thank you, ladies. You. This has been fun. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank Bye. you.